You know, we were studying in the book of James this morning, and we're going to keep going where Jeff started a couple of weeks ago. But uh, you look at that little scene there, tongue-in-cheek, because there's a lot of Christians out there that call themselves a Christian and say they're totally passionate about their faith. But there's no evidence whatsoever of their faith really working. And by the way, before I go on, I just want to tell you it's, a, it's an honor to be uh, your teaching pastor for a while. Um, I'm praying that there's a lead pastor that comes here pretty soon. But you know what? What I've also discovered uh, doing all the consulting that I've been doing with different churches, that churches that are in transition oftentimes mark time and they maintain I don't believe that's what God wants for Cornerstone. Amen. I, I don't, I don't think, you know, God isn't on hold here. Is he? I mean, God wants this church to continue to grow and to be vibrant and to be healthy. And I'm trusting God along with you that um, I've seen churches grow through interim periods. I've seen churches become even more vibrant during interim uh, times. And so I, I'm there. I, I'm with you guys. Let's, let's just get on board here and let's see what God can do at Cornerstone. Amen? Amen. Let's do that. Well, I don't know about you, but can you think of something that you've tried over the years that just didn't work? That just didn't work? You know, some gadget, something that you thought was going to be a time saver, a lifesaver. You know, a, a number of years ago, I, I got a laptop and... Um, I won't tell you what brand it is, but all I'll tell you is that I had more trouble with this laptop than you can imagine. And, and you know, I was beginning to think that, you know, technology is great, but, you know, uh, this, this laptop was giving me fits and the backlight went off on it. And it was going to cost more to fix that computer than to actually uh, throw it away. So I threw that computer away and bought the same brand like a dummy. And I brought the next same brand and I, I used it for almost about, uh, almost a year. And a day after the warranty went off... The backlight went off on it. So how much is it to repair? Oh, 450 bucks. And I said, well, that's more than just as much I paid for the computer. I, I have to confess something here, and I'm not really normally a very violent person. <laughs> but I went out on my front driveway, and I took that laptop, and I closed it, and I threw it as high as I could throw it up into the sky and watched it smash on the driveway. And I just relished in that opportunity. I really did. Now, maybe somebody might relate to that a little bit. Maybe your faith is a little bit like that. You've tried it for a while, but it's not really working very well. Or maybe it's supposed to work, but you haven't really seen a lot of tangible evidence of your faith. Or maybe because you've tried a few things in your faith, you've just kind of quit on it. You've just sort of kind of sat back and just said, you know, why bother? And this morning, I want to challenge you to think about your faith because we're going to go through this series in the book of James called The Faith That Works. James is really, what I love about him is that he's very direct. And you probably figured out a lot of my preaching can get pretty direct <laughs> And, and, and I, I just love the book of James because James really was seeing that these people who were Israelites or Jews who were claiming to know this Christ, he was seeing there that there was virtually no real evidence of their productivity or any real change or transformation in their lives. And how many people do you know in your life 
perhaps even yourself, where you might claim Christianity, but there's no real evidence or no real fruit or no real productivity. And so James takes time to really write to these folks and say, look, guys, if you're going to legitimize your faith, then you've got to have something to back it up. You've got to have something in your life that really shows that there's a difference in your life because of your faith. And so he talks about it in chapter 1, verse 14. If you'll follow along with me, let's read that for a minute because I feel like this is the very backbone or the essence of the entire book of James. As we go through the book of James, normally when I do teach through a book, I like to teach a theme that goes through that book. And the theme that we're going to look at is that this matter of faith that works. And what James does is most of this book is he emphasizes how that faith needs to be legitimized by these particular actions. So let's look at verse 14 of chapter 1. Chapter 2, I'm sorry. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Well, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. That pretty much summarizes what James is trying to tell us. I want to share with you principle number one here when it comes to this particular passage, and that is this. A faith that works must be accompanied by actions. It must be accompanied by actions. If you have a legitimate faith in Christ, there's got to be some sort of transformation or movement or action towards being more Christ-like. There has to be. It has to somehow give evidence to your faith. Now, what's interesting is in Matthew chapter 7, where the Lord is really talking on the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about people who have a bunch of actions but don't have any faith. He talks about guys that can prophesy in my name and they can dream dreams and they can deliver demons and all of that. But the Lord says when I, they come face to face with me, I don't even know who you are. So there are people out there who can actually produce things, but if they don't have the heart of faith in Christ, then that's empty and dead as well. So the second principle I want to share with you is that taking action with our faith means then to be productive. Well, what does this productivity mean? Well, look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. It says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Who? People who are real followers of Christ. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistle? Likewise, every good tree bears fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. 
So what should our faith be producing? Well, it should be producing fruit. And as I studied this, you see, we need to be producing two kinds of fruit, okay? One is what I call kingdom fruit, and the other kind is what I would call character fruit. Now, kingdom fruit would be things like being obedient, doing God's will, being a follower of Jesus. And kingdom fruit is often produced by sharing our faith and seeing somebody come to Christ. It might be building up the body of Christ by using our spiritual gifts. All those kinds of things are ways that we produce fruit in the body of Christ for the kingdom of God, advancing the kingdom of God. That's what I would call kingdom fruit. Now, my question to you this morning, what are you doing in your own life to produce kingdom fruit? What are you doing to advance the kingdom of God on this earth? We seem to be losing ground here in the States these days. Amen. But it takes us advancing the kingdom individually, one-on-one, as we produce those kinds of kingdom fruit in our lives. So that's kingdom fruit. Now, the character fruit side of it is what I would call the fruit of the Spirit. Because the Scriptures tell us in Galatians 5 that if the Holy Spirit is in control of our life, it's going to be producing certain kinds of character qualities that resemble Christ, and that being fruit of the Spirit, being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. Those are the, the character fruit. And my question to you this morning, if you truly are a believer in Jesus Christ, then is, are those character qualities being effectively produced in your life? If you were to talk to your wife or to your children or to your good friends, are they seeing a person that has greater patience, greater love, greater kindness, greater humility, greater self-discipline, self-control? Have you seen progress in that area of your life based upon the Holy Spirit controlling your life? So there's kingdom fruit and there's character fruit. What is God producing in your life? The people that are often closest to you will be the best sources of evaluation of those things really happening. Where have you changed over the last 10 years, claiming to be, quote, a furniture maker, claiming to be a Christian, but you have not made any furniture? You see where we're going with that? So principle number two, taking action with our faith means that we need to be productive. I know in my own life and and. Lynn can testify to this, is that if I stop being productive for the kingdom, I want God to take me home. See, for me, life is to me is all about productivity. What does God want me to accomplish for his kingdom? And I want to stay productive. I, I, can't, I can't just mark time. That's why I encourage you as a church here in the midst of a transition, we need to still stay productive. Amen. We still need to move on. We still need to to produce the fruit of the kingdom. Here's principle number three. Intellectual assent of belief in God is not a working faith. Look at verses 18 and 19. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and they shudder. Intellectual assent is not belief. When the Philippian jailer was confronted by Peter, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a difference between believing on and believing in. 
Remember when, when you were growing up, you maybe perhaps believed in Santa Claus, right? There's a believing in, there's this intellectual understanding and belief. But there's a big difference. You see, believing on means to be fully trusted and relied upon. And so the problem with demons is that they believe intellectually, but they certainly don't trust or rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of people today who only by faith acknowledge that there is a God, that there is Jesus Christ or believe in Jesus Christ, but they never really take the step of faith to launch themselves into a life of productivity. Now, I wanted to illustrate that this morning, and I thought that I would illustrate it with a personal experience that I had last week, okay? We were in Iowa last week on a little vacation time with the family, and we were having a great time once uh, last Sunday afternoon, but it was about 95 degrees and about 90% humidity. And so my son had this brainy idea over lunch. He said, hey, you know what we could do? We could build a slip and slide. He said, he, so he went to my nephew and he said, hey, Troy, do you, do you have, uh, you know, a big piece of plastic that we could throw on a hill? And he said, you know, I don't think I do. But Troy's father-in-law happened to be there, and he was a, a junkie. He, he grabs everything that is overstocked, and he resells it online. And he said, you know, I think I have a roll of plastic in my truck. He had a roll of plastic, you would not believe. It was 12 feet wide by 100 feet long. He said, this is going to be cool. So we put that up on a hill, on a grassy hill, and we just thought, this is going to be great. And I want you to see a picture of it. So if you would put that up, you know, because sometimes we think something's going to be great and we can believe that it's great, but until we use it, you don't really understand how great it is. You want to... Well, as I saw that, I couldn't resist, okay? I needed to put my faith in action. <laughs> and so right after that, I saw my son and my grandson go down. I thought, gosh, that looks like so much fun. And I believe that slip inside is really cool. And I just think it's really awesome. But until I really took a step of faith, it wasn't going to happen. So the next step I did, I, just, I rode and I drove and I dove on that thing, and I went down that thing, and I had a blast. The only downside was is I fractured my ribs, <laughs> and I have torn, you know, stuff in my ribs, and, and so I, uh, but I thought, what a great illustration. <laughs> okay? How many times do we, do we look at our faith and we say, yeah, I believe that, but we're not all in. I believe that, but we're not all in. And sometimes God wants us to take a risk in our faith. Now, you may look at that and say, a 67-year-old man, that was not a risk. That was stupid, okay? But that's all right. I'll, I'll live with that. The point is, that, and that's the way our faith is like. You know, sometimes we jump in and, and we think that just because we're going to take this step of faith and we're going to take this huge risk that somehow God's going to really bless us. And, and, and ultimately, he will. But sometimes along the way, there's some bumps and bruises in our faith, right? And sometimes there is a risk involved. And sometimes we do get hurt along the way. But that's a part of growing and God processing us in our lives. So we need to take action. 
So intellectual scent of belief in God is not a working faith. You remember the old illustration where we used to go out evangelism explosion and we'd say, oh, this is a chair and I really believe this is a chair. This is a great chair. You know, it's like the furniture maker. And But until I sit in this chair, I'm really not putting my faith into action. Other, up to that point, it's just intellectual assent. And I, there might be somebody sitting here this morning. That's where you are. Your, your head's in it, but your heart isn't. You haven't taken that step. You haven't jumped in. So you're not all in. And that kind of faith, my friend, is no different than the, what demons believe. And that's a dead faith. Now, there's a fourth principle. Working faith means that we are willing to do whatever God tells us to do, even if it doesn't make sense. You look at what it says in verses 21 and 22. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You remember that story? I mean, Abraham waited until he was almost 100 years old before God blessed him with a child, and it was his only child. It was a son that he loved dearly, his son Isaac. And then God turns right around and says, oh, hey, Abraham, by the way, I want you to take Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him on the altar. Are you kidding me? What? What are you talking about? I don't know about you, but have there been there times in your life where you just feel like God is asking you to do something that just doesn't seem to make sense? It doesn't add up for your own human logic. It just doesn't seem to, to ring true. And yet God has seemed to be prompting you and pushing you and motivating you to do something. And you resist it because it doesn't make sense in your world. But in God's world and in God's economy, he's got a purpose and a plan in it. And so he goes to Abraham and he says, look, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. You see, I think that often when God wants us to take a step of faith, he wants our willingness. He wants our willingness. You see, why was Abraham willing at this point to do what God asked him to do about his son? Well, first of all, he had a past experience. I mean, God, first of all, had provided miraculously his son, God had told him to take, a, take up and leave the land and go to the promised land and that he would be a father of many great nations. So he had this past experience and he knew also that if it was miraculously provided for him that God could even raise maybe Isaac from the dead. He just knew somehow in his heart of hearts that whatever God required from him from his past experience that God was going to take care of this issue. But secondly, he remembered God's promises to him. He was promised to be the father of many great nations. God, how are you going to promise me to be a father of many great nations and you're going to take my son? That doesn't make any sense. But the promise was there. And I think sometimes we need to be more willing, resting on the fact that maybe perhaps many of us have had some past experiences that God has given us opportunities to trust him, even though when it doesn't make sense. But if we're still willing, based upon his promises and past experience, we can oftentimes walk through some very interesting issues when God challenges us. And for some of you this morning, maybe God is asking you to do something I wrote down in my notes an application here, and here's the question. Are you willing to give up that dream? Are you willing to give up that relationship, that possession, that ambition, that child, that friendship, that addiction, that habit, if you sense God is telling you to do it? 
You see, a lot of times God was just testing us to say, are you willing? Are you willing to let it go? Are you willing to let this issue go? Are you willing to, to drop this? Are you willing to, to let that child go, that issue go? What is it that God is saying to you this morning, perhaps even saying, you know, I, I want your willingness. I just want you to be open. I may not require it of you, but I at least want you to be available and willing. And for a lot of us, we're so closed, you know, we've got, we hang on so tightly to a lot of things that we have and do and desires in our lives that we won't let go. And God is just saying, you know what? Sometimes I just want your willingness. And in Abraham's situation, that's what he got. He got Abraham's willingness. But what's fascinating here is not sometimes does he want our willingness. He wants us to really step out and take a risk. That's the fifth principle here. God always wants our willingness and sometimes requires for us to take a risk and trust him. Now I go back to the slip and slide and I think, you know, God, I'm, I'm willing to go down that slip and slide. And God might be saying, okay, if you're willing, then why don't you take a risk? Well, I took a risk and I fractured my ribs, okay? The point being is, is that God looked at Rahab and Rahab here, she's a prostitute. She has two spies that she's harboring. And these two spies are given release and covered for by Rahab. And that was an enormous risk for Rahab because she was in enemy territory. And she was harboring enemy spies. And so sometimes God wants us to take a risk. And then sometimes he just wants us to trust him and go for it. And perhaps there's something in your life right now where God has been prompting you and you've been thinking about it, you've been praying about it, and God is just saying, you know what? Give it a shot. Take a risk. Try it. I, I remember, and this is an illustration I used a long time ago. Some of you who are around Cornerstone many years ago, you've probably heard me share this, but I remember uh, up in Wisconsin when I lived up there, uh, we had a lot of lakes, and there was a buddy of mine who was a pilot. You know, if you know any pilot, they're all a bunch of rodeoers. You know, they're kind of crazy. And um, and so one day we were out water skiing, and he said, "Hey Tom, do you want a parasail?" And I said, "Parasail? With you, Walt? I'm not sure I want to do that." <laughs> Walt says, "Oh come on, it's so safe, it's so easy, it's such a piece of cake." He said, "You'll just love it." And I'm thinking, yeah, Walt, but yeah, you're driving the boat and I don't trust you. And he said, no, try it. You got to try it, man. It's just the best thing. And I remember him putting the harness on me and I was kind of shaking in my boots and he put this, strapped me in this harness and, and I was on the beach. And, and so I had the parachute kind of straight behind me and he's taking the, the, you know, the slack out of the rope. And I'm thinking, what did I get myself into? And Walt said, now just tell me when you're ready and I'll just hit it. And I'm thinking, I'm going to be dragged across the sand. I'm going to be rolling on the water. But he hit it and boom, the wind hit that parasail and I got launched up into the sky. And it was, it was the most exhilarating experience of my life. But I had to take that step. I had to take that step. I had to, to take that one step. And with that one step, I was thrown up into the sky. And it was almost a great illustration of the thought that sometimes God just wants us to take one step for him. And when you do, you get a God-shaped perspective all of a sudden. Because when I was up there soaring in the sky, it was the most exhilarating experience of my life. 
Because I almost got a God-shaped perspective because I took the step and took the risk. And for some of you this morning, God's trying to say, look, I want you to take a risk. I want you to take that step. I don't know what it is. I don't know what God's dealing with in your life. But perhaps he's saying, look, let's just see. Let's try it. And it might be the most exhilarating experience of your life. It sometimes takes a risk. Well, let me just ask some questions. Has your faith been on cruise control lately? What I mean is, you haven't been really challenged much lately. You've had it pretty easy. You know, that's the downside. You know, sometimes people say it's the easiest place on earth to live in the United States because we're not really being challenged. You know, we go overseas and we can go to China. We can go to other places in in Arab countries or Eastern countries. And you realize that Christians are being persecuted every day. And sometimes those people are the strongest ones. And the persecuted people are the ones that have the greatest faith. And when we live in the States, now we're seeing more and more of that with the change of our culture. But the point is, maybe your faith hasn't been challenged lately. And you're kind of sitting there on cruise control and you're having a great time. But your faith has become stagnant. And scripture says that if you're really going to have legitimate faith, then you need to produce something. There needs to be something happening. There needs to be some growth. There needs to be some character fruit or there needs to be some kingdom fruit. There needs to be some evidence. Maybe you're the person that your faith was really strong at one time, but due to some losses, perhaps challenges, difficult times, you've kind of kind of backed away and said, you know what, God, I don't know if I can even trust you. I remember a lady telling me just a few weeks ago, she said, you know, I've had a real hard time. I, you know, I've, I've been an atheist most of my life because when I was a child and I was being abused by my father, I, I asked God to save me and to spare me and God didn't do it. And so she backed off and said, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to trust. I can't trust God anymore. I, I don't really have any faith. And so she decided to become an atheist. And maybe for some of you, you've had some rough kind of goings and you've kind of gotten a little down on God and you've kind of gotten a little down in your faith and you've kind of maybe given up a little bit. But what do you intend to do about it? Is there something that God is asking you to do right now, but you're not willing? You know, you you sense that God is saying, you know, you need to stop that or you need to give that up or you need to change here. You need to do do this. But you just have been kind of stubborn and prideful and you say, no, God, I I don't don't want to do that. But what James is telling us, listen, if your faith is legitimate, then you've got to be willing to do it. Bottom line. Maybe for some of you, it's time to take a risk. Maybe it's time to take a risk. Yeah, you might fracture your ribs, but I'll tell you what, it was sure fun going down that slide. You see what I'm saying? It might take a risk and it might even hurt along the journey, but God has a plan for your life and he wants to grow you and make you more and more productive because legitimate faith has action. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I come to you this morning knowing that there are, every one of us are on a faith journey. For some, there might be some sitting here this morning that have just an intellectual faith. They believe in Jesus, but they really haven't shown any evidence of being really productive. 
And God, if, if that's the case, then God, I pray that they would make an all-out commitment to say, God, I want you to change me. I want you to rearrange my life. I want you to transform me. I, I want to be productive. I don't want to mark time. I just don't want to go through life doing my thing, God. I want to do your thing. For that person who's been really discouraged lately because it just doesn't seem like anything is going well and they're getting a little down in their faith and discouraged and, 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 and kind of maybe almost ready to give up. And God, I pray that you would just encourage them by this message this morning. For those folks who are just, Lord, you've been kind of prompting them, not sure what it looks like. It may be taking a risk in some way, shape, or form, maybe sharing their faith, maybe changing jobs, maybe going overseas. Lord, I don't know what you are prompting some folks to do, but I do know, Lord, that when you prompt, you definitely want our willingness. So, guys, we think about next week, or think it too about what does it take to be a good listener? Lord, I pray that as we continue on, that this church, when a lead pastor comes, they find a vibrant, growing, dynamic ministry that's changing Prescott and the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.